We read the Bible because we want to know how to live like Jesus. The Old Testament is a big, 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 big lead up to him. He's the culmination of this redemptive plan. He's the moment, the defining moment in history. And then the whole New Testament is looking back and describing what his life was like, why it mattered, who he was, what he taught, what he said, and what we can do with it. So you're always trying to read the Bible with an eye of this is like a, 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 a testimony of what God does, but this is also supposed to be my life story. I'm supposed to look like these pages of scripture and not perfect, because if you actually read the Bible, you realize no one in it was perfect, but they were walking with the Lord, this faith walk that we're talking about. So that's why we're reading the Bible. That's why I preach, because I feel like the things that we see in scripture are the things that we need, not just to know about, but to actually live our lives, whether we're taking pictures or whether we're fixing homes or whether we're playing music or whatever we're doing, counseling people, we're, we're supposed to be living out the life of Christ. We are Christians, Christ-like, his people. So, as you know from last time we talked, a couple of weeks ago now, when the very first sentence you hit Paul, an apostle, uh, by the will of God. And so we're just stopping for a little while to think, what is the will of God? Can we even answer that unanswerable question? It feels too big. Like, what's the will of God? Is it a detail thing? Is it like his will that we got up this morning, we got here? Is it, is it his will that he'd bring a salvation plan to completion? Can his will be stopped or thwarted? Why do bad things happen? Does he have a will that uh, dictates every action of every human? You know, these are big questions. Uh, but I don't want to be afraid of big questions. We've got a big God who loves us and he reveals things to us. We're allowed to ask our questions. We're meant to ask our questions. Otherwise, we're going to be stunted in our growth as Christians because we're going to get to a certain point but like, well, I don't know. So then we kind of like back a little. I'm not sure. Ask. Dig. We're trying to dig as deeply as we can. And so last week, the introduction to this two weeks ago was that there are three words for will, the will of God, in Greek. Just like in love, there's like five Greek words for love. It helps us understand what that can mean. There are three words for the will of God. One is his pleasure. It's his good pleasure. It's God's will that all men would be saved. It's his desire, his wish. And we have a will like that too. We would love it if everything goes our way. We would love it if all our prayers get answered. It's our, it's our will. Our will would be that life would be good and that easy. And that doesn't happen that way, but it is our heart and it's based upon our nature and our desires. And so God's good pleasure is based upon his goodness. What is God's will? It's simple. He would just want everybody to do all the good stuff all the time, always. It's simple will. But that's not the only way the word will is used. The other way is God's will is that he would create and redeem. He has this will. He will bring to pass his sovereign plan. Jesus would be born, die, raised. That is unstoppable. Doesn't matter how many Judases were around Jesus or in betrayers in our lives, when God sets his sovereign plan in motion, it is unstoppable. That's the thing that cannot be stopped. That's why we know Satan doesn't win in the end. That's why we know the return of Christ will happen no matter how bad the world gets or how confusing our lives get. That plan is another word for a different type of will. Three wills. So the plan, capital P, the plan, the master plan of God. And that is unalterable, that is not up to us, and no matter what we do, it cannot be stopped. Right? But it's based upon his good pleasure. He desires to create, he wants relationship with each of us. It's based upon his goodness. 
So his plan is an outpouring of his goodness. And then there are these moments where God steps in, the specific determinated events where God's like, I'm going to make this happen in this moment. It could be a miracle. God intervenes. It could be a, a meeting of two people. God introduces two people. We call those uh, divine appointments sometimes. Maybe you've had those. You didn't know you were going to bump into someone. You bump into someone. You end up having like the exact prayer that you needed in that moment. <clears throat> it was perfect for you and for them. God made it happen. You could look at places like the center and be like, that's a determination of God because it wasn't within our ability to be here, but God made it happen and is making it happen. Okay, so God does things. But then there's all these things that we see also that are outside of God's will. They're not based upon his goodness. They're not part of his sovereign plan. It's, it's the reason he needs a sovereign plan. It's because of all these other things that goes on. It's why we need him to make sure that it turns out the way it does in the end for all who will turn to him. Right? We, we need that because there's so much that happens that isn't of him or of his love or of his grace. And we pray all the time, God, step in, do your thing. So the first conversation, as you can see, it's kind of like theory. We can't stay there. We'll just get popsicle headaches trying to think about the will of God. It's like thinking about eternity or something. It is, you can't think about it too much. So this next couple of sermons, all I want to do is look at specific verses in the Bible where God uses, and it's God's book, so he wrote it through people, where God uses the word will of God in specific life situations. Let's make it as practical as we possibly can. What is the will of God? Vague, theory, hypothetical. Okay, what is God's will in your plans? When you make plans and I make plans, our schedule, our calendar, our ideas, our hopes for the future, for grants, for taxes, for jobs, for uh, painting and expanding our businesses, right? What are our plans? We've got them. There's a specific verse in the Bible that says how the will of God relates to that, how we're supposed to do that. So this week we're going to look at four, next week we're going to look at four more. And the, the gamut of all the topics are today planning, God's will and planning, our prayer and God's will, money and God's will, and gratitude and God's will. We're going to look at those. And then next week, sexuality and God's will, decision making and God's will, comfort and God's will and belief in God's will. There are all these specific verses that talk about this is how we apply it. So it'd be such a shame if we just talked about the concept, like, oh, I think I get it, but are we doing it? How do you live out the will of God? So the central theme for all of this, willing is doing, here's what I want you to remember. The will of God, this is the, the sentence, if you could walk away with, I would want you to walk away with, the will of God is that we do the will of God. Does that make sense? The will of God is that we do the will of God. We don't learn about the will of God. We're meant to do the will of God. Act it out. Enact. Physically, mentally, verbally, enact the will of God. That's what it's for. We are not meant to just understand like the will of God as if like we know what sort of things are pleasing to him. Oh, it's God's will that we should, you know do these things, or it's God's will that he likes love and peace and patience and kindness. No, no, no. We're supposed to live peace and live kindness and live self-control. These are not just opinions of God's. These are his commands. His nature determines what should be, right? So the will of God is that we do the will of God. So you need to ask yourself, I need to ask myself, are we doing the will of God in all areas of our lives, whether it's money or sexuality or planning or prayer? Like, that's the right question. Willing is doing. Because what is it when you say, oh, I really want to do it and then never do it? 
Hypocrisy. <laughs> I think this is great, but then you never actually do that thing. You're a hypocrite. I become a hypocrite. We love all the things of God. We don't actually do many of them, and we know about them, but we don't act them out. And we do the opposite, but we say good things on Sunday. Like, no. It's meant to be the directive for our lives. Willing is doing when it's done right. And just in case you don't believe me, let me scattershot. Don't turn to these. Really quickly, a few verses that just say exactly this. We need to hear this. This is scripture. Mark 3.35. Whoever does the will of God, Jesus said, that's my brother, sister, and mother. Not knows the will of God. We're not here to know the will of God. We're here to learn and do the will of God. How about this one? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, you know, singing on Sundays, hallelujah, not everyone will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So you can get to heaven and be like, I knew the will of God, and Jesus will be like, did you do the will of God? Was it who you were? Did you live it out? That's what we're shooting for here. That's what the Bible calls us to. And sometimes it can be easy to kind of go to church or listen to podcasts and learn about the will of God. We're not living it all the time. That's why we've got to get practical with this. John 7, 17, Jesus said, if anyone's will is to do the will of God, I like that one because it brings our will and God's will and kind of puts them together like this. If anyone's will is to do God's will, then he will know whether my teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own. So when you hear Jesus' words, it should like ring true. That's a God thing if we want what God wants because this is God speaking in human form. 1 Peter 2.15, this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Do you have mockers in your life? Do you have detractors? Do you have people who are critical? Do you have people who are coming against you, opponents? It is God's will that by doing good, you should put to silence all of that that your lives stand as a testimony to God's goodness by how we live so that all that chatter doesn't stick. It just doesn't fit because when the world sees the light, let them see that light, the city on a hill, they'll glorify your Father in heaven. The detractors won't have a leg to stand on. Two more, maybe more familiar ones. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to continually present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, as your spiritual worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. What is good, right? It's based on his pleasure. So what is the goodness of God? It is the things he wills to have done, part of his plan, the specific things that he causes to happen. So we live as sacrifices because we've learned what the will of God is. That's Romans 12, a familiar one. Another one, Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, 9 and 10. Pray this way, Jesus said, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done. And we're going to see in all these things, the, the doing of God's will is meant to be very specific. So when I read this, what I see in it now after studying the will of God is that that's not like praying for world peace, like in a general sort of way. May your will be done by me on earth as it is in heaven. May your will be done in specific situations by specific people. 
We can pray for peace in Israel and Palestine, and that is what we should pray for. But even more so, pray for people of peace in government, in military, and in local communities. Pray for peaceful action, for God's will to be enacted, not for some sort of general sense. How would you pray this in your marriage? Pray for me to love my spouse. Well, well, pray for me to be loving to my spouse in what I do for them and how I forgive them and how I sacrifice my desires for them and how I speak to them and how I celebrate them and how I champion them, and how, right? All of a sudden now we're not in the vagaries of your will be done. We recognize his will is a specific thing. Sometimes you look at someone you just see they need a hug. You know that feeling, right? Even for those of us who aren't huggers, you must have experienced that once. That's God's will. Because you're meant to love that person. And if you prayed that morning, your will be done, and his will is to love people, and you saw someone, you lock eyes, and you know that person needs to love, enact the will of God. His will is being done by how we love one another. So it's meant to be super, super practical in every, in every way. Um, and so let's look at our four for today. Planning, prayer, money, and gratitude. I'll have you look at a few of them with me. The first one's in James chapter 4. And... Um, this is on planning our plans. It's actually very applicable. What you share, what we're talking about, the things that we decide. And we're not ever trying to like, tell God what to do. I, I, I hope. Don't, don't do that. Uh, I'm not trying to do that. We're not. But we still make plans. How can we do them within the will of God? In James 4, 13 to 17, there's a very cool way to look at it that I think if we can apply this to ourselves, even if you came away with this one thing, it, it would change how you view your own life. We change the things we do, the way we look at what we do. So let's just read the scripture on the will of God and then ask ourselves a few questions and see if we can take something from it. James 4, 13 to 17. James, the brother of Jesus, writes, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a town. We'll spend a year there. We'll trade. We'll make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You're just a mist that appears for a little time and then it vanishes. Instead, you ought to say. Does that sound like a directive? I hope so. Are we Christians? I hope so. So this is for us? I hope so. Are we going to do this? I don't know. That's up to you. I hope so. Instead, we ought to say, if the Lord wishes, if the Lord wills. So this is the thalema will. This is the pleasure of God. So if it's God's pleasure... It is God's pleasure. We'll live and do this or that. But he says, as it is, since you don't approach your plans that way, you boast in your own arrogance. We will do this or that. And all such boasting is, he doesn't say it's misled. He doesn't say that it's foolish or simple or weak. He says it's evil. Evil. And whoever knows the right thing to do and doesn't do it, it's sin. Shoot. <laughs> I've like spent my entire life saying I'm going to do this or that. It's like what I do for a living, this or that. You're probably the same way. It's like how we order our lives. Have I been sinning in not making sure that I respect and speak? Instead, you ought to say. It should be part of a vocabulary. If the Lord wills. Lord willing. I'll see you on Monday. Lord willing, we'll pray on Wednesday. 
Even just that little statement, what if you start saying that at work to your boss? Lord willing, I'll be at your meeting on Wednesday. Lord willing, I'll do my work today. Lord willing, I'll show up tomorrow. Unless there's the rapture, you might still be here, but I won't. I don't know. We just we anticipate what we think is going to happen. But what if our entire vocabulary was trained by the Holy Spirit to just adopt this mindset that we really don't know what's going to happen? And it's in those faith moments where you don't know what's going to happen that you're there by default. Lord, we don't know how we are going to pay our staff. So, Lord willing, we will have money for you in the next paycheck. And it really, it's a truthful statement. But whenever we get out of those seasons of dependency and uncertainty, we go right back to paychecks on Friday. Unless you die tomorrow, unless Jesus comes today, or unless money runs out, or like, you know, there's so many ifs. And if we can release some of our control over that, that actually releases a lot of our expectations, which releases a lot of our disappointments when things don't go the way we want. It also frees God up to just do something different than we had thought was going to happen. <clears throat> our plans didn't succeed. If we're truly seeking God, his plans are succeeding. So we're just learning what they are along the way. It's this interactive kind of thing versus a guarantee. <clears throat> so if I was going to give us each, and I am going to give us each homework on this one, I would say in all of your planning conversations this coming week, precede whatever you say in a text or on the phone or to your coworker or to your kids with Lord willing. What would it look like if that just became such a functional part of a vocabulary? Because if not, we're assuming things that are out of our control. We're assuming we have five more minutes to live. We're assuming that, oh, well, today is bad, but tomorrow is going to be good. But you might not have tomorrow, so today's the day for the good. This is the moment for the good right now, because we don't know if we have tomorrow. And to boast and guarantee and promise, who are we to say that? So don't count on it. Be happy for it if it comes. Make tentative plans, Lord willing. I'd love for this or that or the next thing to happen. Lord willing, kids, I'll pick you up from school today. Why not? It's actually a more honest statement. It's bringing faith into the planning of our lives. <clears throat> so if we're going to really discern ourselves how well we're doing on this, we need to ask ourselves, are we making plans or are we submitting our plans to God? And depending on how you answer that, you can say, I am living out the will of God well in planning right now, or I'm not. And if we're not, that's okay, but this is the moment to recognize we're not and to start to do some shifting. When we come to the Lord and we say, here are our plans, that's the perfect way to do it. Here they are. Here's the thoughts that I have. I'm submitting them to you for approval. Please pass them through the subcommittees of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and get back to me in your good timing as to what you think should be done. Here's ideas. Here's ideas, Father. I've got an idea, and you're a good father, and you know the future because you have the plan will of God, and I'm trying to make decisions on the specific moments, but I want them to fit into the big plan so that your pleasure, all the wills of God kind of converge. Don't make plans. Submit plans. You can come up with plans. You can be the one to like offer them. God gives us ideas. Use our minds. Interact with God, but don't make them. Submit them. And if we're willing to do that and have that become a part of our daily speech patterns, then this is how Christians use the will of God in 
day-to-day life. I was wondering about group chats. They're kind of annoying, but we all need them and we use them. And there's always some people in the big enough group chats that we don't know or don't know well. Like, what if you start putting in the next like birthday party planning chat? Like, Lord willing, I'll bring the dip. Lord willing, I'll be there. What are they talking about? This isn't a Jesus conversation. Like, I didn't ask to be preached at. And like, are they coming or are they not? Like, what if we're more visibly putting all our plans into God's hands? We're going to have people come in and do the installation. That's a plan. Lord willing, this week, people, you're just rephrasing things, but you're putting yourself in a better posture with God. It's a very practical thing. I challenge you this week to submit your plans when you schedule with coworkers. Lord willing, when you anticipate upcoming profits or purchases, we're going to go buy a car, we're going to buy a house, we're going to, you're, Lord willing, we submitted this plan to the Lord, we're going to see what he's going to do with it. Gives him the freedom to do whatever he wants with it, which could be much better than whatever you could have thought of yourself. All right, so that's the first one. That's planning in the will of God. Second one, I don't want you to turn to these scriptures because there's three. They're very short. I'm going to read them for us. This one's on prayer. We should pray within the will of God. His pleasure, his plan, his plans specifically. Listen to these scriptures and see if it can give us some practical exercises on prayer in the will of God. First one's in John 9, 31. It says, we know that God does not listen to sinners, meaning the lost, not we who sin, but people who are apart from him. God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. All right, so there's some correlation between us living out the will of God and our prayers being effective, okay? Second scripture, Hebrews 2.4. God also bore witnesses, um, he bore witness by signs and wonders, miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So the miracle you're praying for will be distributed according to his will. The sign that you're waiting for to know about how to make this decision will be distributed according to his will. The things we're praying for will be distributed according to his will. So not only does our relationship to him have an impact on prayer, anything that's coming from him is going to be based in his will. So we need to pray within that will of God. And that's where we have 1 John 5.14, the clearest statement on prayer and the will of God that I know of in Scripture. It says, and this is the confidence we have towards God. If we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. If we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. So which will is this? If we ask anything according to His sovereign plan? No. It's not that word right here. Is it anything for like, what should we do in this moment? No. If we ask for anything according to his good pleasure, it's that will. It's the thalema will. That's what's used right here. So this passage is teaching when we pray, pray according to the things that please God. There is freedom within the pleasure of God. Just like the law of God is like a, 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 um, a safety net around us, but there's freedom within it. Some people think of the will of God as sort of like a tiny little square, and you kind of like get in and you like tiptoe to make sure you stay in the will of God, but sometimes you don't. It's not like that. Will of God is like a giant field or a giant playground. You get to have fun within it, but there's a fence around it, and it's dangerous outside, and it's lost outside, and it's dark, but in it, it's good, and there's freedom in there. The good pleasure of God is like that. When we pray, do we pray for God's pleasure? What would please you in this situation? That's 
praying according to God's will. And so you can actually pray for very specific or different instances of how to work that out. And we must. That's why we have a body of Christ. It's meant to be diverse prayers, diverse gifts, all approaching different angles, ministering to different people, discipling different people, caring for different people because we're all doing one thing or if we're all only doing one thing, it's, that's not how the kingdom is like a seed. You plant it and it grows and it sprouts and it scatters and it takes over the whole world. This is our faith. So it's good that there's many, many, many different determinations, but all of us pray according to the pleasure of God, what pleases God. What is his nature? His Holy Spirit, what fruit does he put within What nature does he put within us? Things according to love, according to kindness, things according to goodness, things according to gentleness, things according to self-control, things according to patience. I think I missed that one. You know, these are according to the pleasure of God. And if what we're praying for is within that pleasure of God, it's a good prayer. It's a good prayer. It's what God wishes would happen everywhere always. And we're trying to find a way in our specific life to act it out. This is good. This is how we pray. So if we're going to discern where we stand on this, to know, okay, am I praying within the will of God? We ask, well, am I praying for what I want? Or am I praying for what God wants? This is a simple question. It's like, am I making plans or am I submitting plans? With prayer, are you praying for what you want or are you praying for what God wants? You know what you want. And God knows what you want. And you can tell him what you want. But what you really should want is what he wants. Because the good pleasure of God is going to be far superior to any limited scope that we could imagine. And it may even include some really hard things or difficult things. But if it works towards the good pleasure of God, we take those hard things as part of this world that we live in, knowing that God works all things together for the good of those who are called according to his will, the purpose will, which cannot be stopped. So we need to ask ourselves when we pray, are we just asking for what we want? That's not a bad prayer, but it's like a child's prayer. It's a simple prayer. We can go further than that and say, God, what is your pleasure? All the things that I'm praying for, are they according to your, your good pleasure, your loving kindness? What do you want? This 1 John 5.14 that I just read for us, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. This is one of those good checks. This is a little aside. I'll step over here. Um, this is why we know that we don't pray for Mercedes Benzes. We pray according to his will, right? <laughs> because there are other verses that just say, ask anything and it'll be given to you. But when you take all the places in the Bible that teach about how to pray, you put this one in, it clarifies and it qualifies these others. Then you put in things like, if we just have food and clothing, we'll be content. And you realize, I guess I don't need the Mercedes. Like, uh, the full counsel of God's scripture is how you get wiser in how we live out our faith. So this is a good one to keep in mind. Praying according to his will. I guess, in a weird way, could it be according to his good pleasure that that Mercedes would somehow either be a reward or a blessing? Sure, like a car is a car, but a lot of times we're just praying for extravagant ease and comfort, <laughs> and that isn't according to his good pleasure. Uh, so pray, but look for God's will in it, and uh, he's not just kind of a cosmic divine lottery ticket. We pray for what we want, and he just gives it. So we're praying for what we want, and praying for what God wants. Um, the experiment for this in our prayer time is this. I'd like to ask us to consider adding into our prayer the phrase, God, please show up in 
and then insert your need or want there. Because ultimately, if we're looking for God's will to be done in a situation, we want him to show up in whatever way he sees fit. If it's a healing, then we want him to show up in that way. If it's a provision financially, if it's a blessing or a praise, we want him to be there. We want him to be glorified. And if we're praying according to his will, and we're praying for his good pleasure, God, show up in whatever way will bring you the most glory in this situation. This job, this relationship, this doubt I have, this fear, this addiction, this whatever. God, show up in that. If you're praying for youth, your own children, other kids that you know, you want them to like grow up well and be safe and survive youth, because it's harder now than maybe it ever has been. What if instead of praying, God, please give them the Christian spouse that they need and get them into the right school and get them the right job and help them to be healthy and whole and like the praying all the things we want to happen, God, please show up in their lives. Because we sometimes have had our best encounters with God when we were at our lowest moment. So would we pray them away from all the troubles that could actually put them on their knees to teach them dependence? We would, we would, I would. Yeah, sure. God, please, like, pave the way for my kids, right? Make it easy. Keep them safe. I'm allowed to pray that. I'm allowed to express that to God. But if I'm praying for his good pleasure, what I want more than anything is for my kids to experience him. So God, please show up in their lives according to your will, who you know they are, what you know they need, where you know they're going. Because you know the plan, you know the specific things, but what is your pleasure in their lives? It's a little bit of a different way to pray. God, here's my need financially. God, will you show up in this financial need? How will he do that? There's so many ways. He could show up in your financial need by giving you just a piece. Like God showed up. I'm not afraid of that anymore. Come what may. He may show up with the miraculous one-month time frame where the, the down payment for the house and the things. Okay, he showed up in that way, which becomes a testimony for us today years later. Maybe he'll show up by just showing us, man, we're really fearful people and run our own way too often. And so we need to be made aware of that. And the kindest thing he could do would be to show us that we're not where we need to be. That's him showing up. Right? These are not how we pray, but your will be done means, God, you do what you want here. Show up, please. God. So where the first will of God is sort of how we express this. Lord willing, then we make our plans and submit them to him. The second will of God is more releasing the situation to him and saying, being with you in this situation would be enough. It would be better, actually, than the results I want. Just being with you in this season is the best thing. Please be in it. Please show up. God, please be in. Show up in the conflict in Israel and Palestine. Show up in our country with all those that are struggling with mental health issues or depression. Like, show up in those situations. Don't just make them all go away. Please help them to go away. That's our will. But show up because what you do in that moment will be the good. It'll be what these people need, what our world needs. Show up in all these things. We're praying for certain test results. We're praying for graduation, diplomas. God, show up in our education. Show up in our health so that we can be there with you and your will could be done.
So that's the second. The third one I'll have you turn with me. Uh, this is uh, in the book of Ezra. So we're going to an Old Testament story here. It's a brief one. <clears throat> and the last one is uh, a brief one as well. Talking about gratitude. But I really want us to like, take away some of these things and do them to talk differently, to pray differently. If we just hear about the will of God, we don't do it, then we're not achieving what Jesus is asking us to do. So here we have an Old Testament story, Ezra chapter 7. Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, if you're trying to locate it in the Old Testament. Um, a word about hermeneutics. Hermeneutics just means uh, you study scripture based on how it was written, not based on an English reader's interpretation. So we recognize this is a very ancient story that happened, and not every story in the Bible is meant to be replicated, right? Think of all the people who did everything wrong. You don't just read in the Bible and do it. There'll be a lot of things you should not do because what you're getting is an example of what not to do. Still a teachable moment, but um, you're meant to take the principles from the lives of people of God in the past and say, what can I do to apply that? The New Testament is this. It's the application to specific situations in specific cities. We're meant to do this. So this is a story about how people used money according to the will of God. When we read something in the Old Testament, is it meant to be done? It's meant to be learned from. If you put it together with things like uh, give to the Lord your first fruits, that's a New Testament teaching and command. If you put it together with things like each one should give what's in his heart to give, God loves a cheerful giver. Those are the more teaching, but this is a moment in time. And I like seeing how it's played out in the people of Christ. So if this is a story you're familiar or not familiar with, it's short. It's just verses 17 through 20. Uh, it's a great example of using our money according to the will of God. So, Ezra 7.17, there's instructions here to the priests, to the leaders saying, with this money, it's talking about different categories, different groups of money, right? Think of your budget. This category, this category. With this money, you shall with all diligence buy bulls and rams and lambs with their grain offerings and their drink offerings, and you shall offer them on the altar of the house of your God that is Jerusalem. So here's your offering, okay, a Sunday morning offering. Here's your offering. Do that with this part of your money. Now, whatever seems good to you and your brothers to do with the rest of the silver and gold, you may do according to the will of your God. So this part that's not allocated to here, use according to the will of God, according to Thelema, according to his good pleasure. Now this is interesting. I'll finish the next couple of verses and say this doesn't use our three Greek words. It's written in Hebrew, so it can't. But actually takes us deeper into the will of God, which is really cool. So uh, verse 19 continues, says, Now the vessels, kind of like another category, that have been given to you for the service of the house of your God, you shall deliver them before the God of Jerusalem. And whatever else was required for the house of your God, which it falls on you to provide, you may provide it out of the king's treasury. So they're looking over the people of God, and they're talking about offerings, and they're talking about um, like commitments, like your bills and your giving and your free will offerings. It's all kind of combined here. And if we want to discern for ourselves how we're using our money and think about how they did here, we need to ask ourselves what part of our money is predetermined, what things we have obligations to, what things are we committed to, and what part is spirit-led? What part of your money is spirit-led? It's God's slush fund. It's the Holy Spirit's mad money. It's the spirit fund. Holy Spirit fund. Do we have a Holy Spirit fund in our budget? $10 a month? $20 a month? Anything? Or is there just the knowledge that if something comes up, we'll take out of one of our other containers to give because the spirit like led us that way in the moment? 
There's this consistency in Scripture. I love how the Old Testament and New Testament always show and say the same things when you see God showing. We're supposed to let our money be used according to the will of God. And so our commitments oftentimes are ways that we're trying to honor Him. We, we pay for our home so we can have a home. We're providing for our family. This is a good thing. Our apartments, our condos, wherever we live, that's good. And we have some of our money set aside for food. This is money that God's provided. Whenever we say grace and thank God for our food, thank you that you provided us the ability to eat. So like those commitments are what they are. But if we're so locked into being predetermined with what we're going to do with all of our money, God has no freedom in that moment to do what He wants with our money. And so the instruction here is, this part, do whatever the Holy Spirit tells you to do according to the will of God. And this is why it's interesting, because in the Hebrew there, will is actually the word command. The commands of God. How he tells you to use it in the moment. You see someone who's a homeless person and they're asking for money. We've all driven by and walked by people in this situation. Sometimes you feel like, I don't feel comfortable giving right now. And that's okay. But that shouldn't be every time, always. There should be those times you're like, I think I should give something. And maybe I'll sit and chat. Or maybe I'll get food and bring. Like, I should help here. And we want to be more like the good Samaritans than the religious people that walk by the needs constantly because we're too busy and we don't have enough money and we don't have enough time and we're bypassing the momentary distribution of our funds. All the money that you have in your bank account right now and that I have in my bank account, whether it's a little lot, it's not all for us. It's not all for us. But if we decided where every penny goes, then we're not actually leaving room for the Holy Spirit, for God's will in momentary needs. Part of our money is to help other people, to support other ministries, to send overseas to missionaries who need it desperately, to give it to a friend, to make a meal. It's not all for us. So what's God's will with your money? What's his good pleasure? Is that we would decide where it makes sense and we would reserve some to be spirit-led. Live by faith. But, but I need all my money. God knows that. He, and he meets our needs. We don't pray because he doesn't know. We live our money according to the will of God by not using it all. By not keeping it all. But my financial plan, I can't get to the retirement number that I'm looking for fast enough. And what about this bill that's coming? God knows that you need those things. Set aside money for the Holy Spirit to use. It, for those of you that have an actual budget, put in a line item that says the Holy Spirit Fund. Pick a number. God can adjust it. He can do whatever he wants with it, but be intentional. Our money is not just for us. We use it all on ourselves, and then we get a raise, and then we just live up to that standard of living, and we use all that, and then we get a raise, and we live all to... So it's not like we're ever getting ahead. Cut back on something to reserve gifts for God. This is a beautiful thing. It's so fun to be a part of a moment where you feel like, I felt God tell me to like give a gift or do a thing. And then you see how it's received and the blessing that it is. And it just like gives joy and helps someone. That person like, wow, this person financially helped me. Not just said, oh, I'll pray with you. Go be warm and well fed. <laughs> Meet a need. That's what it means to use your money according to the will of God. You could say, well, what's not the will of God? Gambling away all your money. Not the will of God. Drinking away all your money. Not the will of God. But almost, I don't even want to take time to talk about all the evil things we could do with our money. Even if you get past that and you're just predetermining good things, you can become legalistic in your use of your own money because you've decided what you're going to do. God's got plans, people. 
Holy Spirit's got things to say to you in the moment as you live by faith. So plan accordingly. Think ahead. Or at least be willing to take out of those funds as the occasion arises to say, ah, this is one of those Holy Spirit moments. And I'm taking from something I know that I need, but it's okay. God will refill that bucket when he knows that I need it. Our money should be spirit-led. And the fact that the, the Hebrew word is a command just kind of reminds me of verses like this one, Psalm 40, verse 8. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. Or Psalm 143.10, teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. Like knowing what God commands us is a beautiful thing. And he reveals his pleasure by giving us commands. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. That's law, that's command, that's like the general parameters, the fence around the playground that he gives us to live within the kingdom of God. The joy in the middle and the protection from the out, right? Um, so the commands are good and they reveal his pleasure. That's why I think that's ironic in like a beautiful way that what God tells us we must do is actually the thing that we would enjoy the most and that would please him the most. Pleasure and law are not opposites. You know, can we see God's laws as positive rather than just stifling our fun or legalistic? I think so. So my exercise for you is to set aside a Holy Spirit fund. Do it. Put it in your budget. Pick a number. What is our Holy Spirit fund? And then seek to use it all the time and see what God will do. It may put a jar on your table and put a 20 in it and add a 20 at whatever increment you can and then at some point just empty the jar and give it or, or, or whatever. Find a way. It is not those who hear about the will of God that are loving God the best. It's those who are doing the will of God. So use your money according to the will of God. So this brings us to our last one. And it is gratitude, and it's 1 Thessalonians 5.15, if you would like to turn there. That's just a quick few verses. Maybe, Devin, I'll ask you to come forward and get ready for our closing song and communion, because what better way to celebrate gratitude than celebrate communion together? It's the ultimate thing to be grateful for. We have our eternities to... To thank God for through the resurrection. So 1 Thessalonians 5, 15 to 18 simply says, See to it that no one, I mean none of us, none of them, no believers, repay anyone evil for evil. So someone comes at you with evil, do not give back the same. But always seek to do good. There's the action. This is scripture. Act according to God's good pleasure. God's good pleasure. Do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, so have joy. Pray without ceasing and give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. We're commanded here, this is the will of God. It's the thalema. It's the good pleasure of God that we would be grateful people in all of our circumstances. Having the money we want, not having the money we want. We still pray about that. That's a need. We're not like put on a mask and be hypocritically happy and like fake it. Not that. But we're to be grateful people amidst all of the things that go on in our lives. It is God's will. It is God's good pleasure that we would give thanks to him in all circumstances. 
Ray and Ellen and I were looking at that title of the song, I'm So Blessed, when you put it up there, and just having it there, looking at it for a second, feeling blessed, being grateful. This is God's will for us. So the question for us is, are we outwardly, actively, verbally a grateful people? How do you talk? Well, people get into conversations about politics. How do you be a grateful person in that conversation? Whether you agree or disagree with them or whatever you're going to say, like, be a grateful person. When you're talking about money, how do you be a grateful person? Because usually it's easier to bond with someone over our complaints. The mutual complaints over the government and politics today. And you go, how, how would you stop that right there? Because Christians are not meant to be complainers. We're not meant to be bitter. We're not meant to be negative. We're meant to be people who are grateful in all things. So how am I going to stop this conversation about upcoming elections and say something grateful? I'm grateful that we have a government that is as good as it is. Praise God. Could say that. It's flawed. It's got its own problems, but it's better than many. Thank you, God, for that. Or, I'm grateful that God's in control because most people that I know don't seem to know what they're doing. You want to be snarky about it? Great. Put God in there. Bring him into the conversation. Be verbally grateful. I'm struggling with this health concern. I've got an upcoming appointment. I've got a diagnosis. But I'm really grateful to God that my family's around me and they love me. What are, we, what are we great? We have to be. This is God's will. It's literally the sentence in the Bible. It's God's will that we be grateful people. Not head in the sand. Not avoiders. Not dismissers. Not ignorant. Not naive. Well aware of the reality of all the pain and all the difficulty and still grateful. Not ignorant. Informed. Grateful. Christians. And so that's my homework assignment for you in that regard. Will you add statements of gratitude to your conversations? When the coworkers want to talk about how bad the boss is or talk about whatever's happening, I'm grateful I have a job. When you're talking with your spouse and you're worried about your kids, when you're looking at your bills and you're worried about the like, I'm grateful that we ate today. We may not tomorrow. Lord willing, we're going to eat tomorrow. Really, only he knows. And if we start to apply these things, I hope that you're seeing, even in one of these four, something that will change how you talk, something that will change how you spend, something that will change how you pray. I want it to be different for us, because if not, we're just learning about the will of God. We can't do that. It's not him who says, Lord, Lord, yeah, great, great advice, Jesus. Catch me at heaven's gates and, like, extend some grace. I'm going to need it. Live it. That's our calling. That's what it means to do the will of God.